Welcome to the Generation Life Church Sermon Podcast. We are a life-giving church for everyone. We are multi-generational, multicultural, and exist to multiply by reaching our community both locally and globally with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We pray that this message helps you in your walk with Jesus. Hey, um, so so last week, we, we identified how hard the devil fights against you so that uh, you will not grow and develop into all that God would have you to become in Christ. Remember that? We talked about how the enemy fights against you so that we might not live that abundant life that Jesus actually paid the price for us to have. And in chapter 2, we saw that one of the greatest strategies that the enemy uses to prevent spiritual growth in our lives was what? Condemnation. Remember that one? Condemnation. Key word was, was condemnation, because we nailed that stuff to the cross last Sunday, didn't we? Man, God moved in this place. But, but today we're going to study Colossians 3, and man, fam, let me tell you, I hope you came ready for the word today, because Colossians 3 will step on your toes. I've been getting stepped on my toes all week, so I'm, I'm in this with you. But, but Colossians 3 is going to shed light on another strategy that the enemy uses to keep us from growing in our faith and producing good works in our lives. And that strategy is to keep you comfortable. Oh, my. I got a feeling it's going to be one of those Sundays. Are you guys out there? Are you with me? Are you here today? To keep us comfortable Christianity is killing the spiritual growth of the American Christian. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever sat down so long that your legs got numb and fell asleep? Right? Maybe, maybe, what are you guys laughing at? I don't know where you were sitting. I'm talking about like maybe you were sitting in prayer or you were riding in the car or <laughs> I don't know what seat you had in mind. <laughs> but if I think it is where you think, well, you shouldn't be sitting there that long. I, but I, I don't know. <laughs> I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Like, like when you're sitting there and your legs fall asleep and what happens is you sit so long that, that you become numb. And you're no longer able to feel the things that you normally would if you were not numb. And it kind of could be kind of dangerous because you can, you can bump your leg on something. You can twist your ankle. You, you can roll your leg and be completely immune because the pain has temporarily subsided and you've become numb. Family, the American church has become comfortable living in the, Amer in the American dream so long that we've become numb to the things that move God's heart. And, and we've constructed an American Jesus whose, whose great commission is to achieve the American dream. And we will invest all of our time and, and our savings and, and our resources and our strength and our energy into achieving the American dream. And then if we got anything left over, we give that to God. And one of the lies that has crept into, I feel one of the misinterpretations that has crept into the American church is the misinterpretation of the covenant of grace. That because we've been saved by grace and not by works, that there is no need to put in the work to produce good fruit in God's kingdom. 
And if we're not careful, we can become so desirous of working for the things of the world that we're no longer seeing the need to put in the work that produces good fruit in our lives. Can you say amen, somebody? But, 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 but. What I love about Colossians chapter number three is that the Apostle Paul puts this entire life into perspective, this entire Christian life into perspective, that if we're out of alignment, it allows us to refocus our desires on that which is above, not on the things on this earth. That we might live a successful life according to God's definition of success. And so Colossians 3 starts with heaven, and it ends with heaven. It tells us what to stay away from. It tells us what we need to do in order to produce those good works in this life so that we might receive the benefits of this life and in the life to come. So if you're taking notes, uh, I just wanted to, to, to take a moment, and I just wanted to provide an outline for you today of Colossians 3 before we dive down into the Word. Uh, If you take a note, I want to encourage you. Verses 1 through 4 starts with heaven. I would jot that down or screenshot the screen. Verses 1 through 4 starts with heaven. This is such a masterly, crafted document right here. Verses 5 through 9 identifies the carnal weeds that prevent spiritual growth in our lives. Verses 5 through 9 identifies the carnal weeds that prevent spiritual growth in our lives. As you can see, I have a a display. Shout out to Jim Hickox. Can you show some love to Jim? Wonderful display of the weeds. Now, verses 10 through 17 identifies good works that produce spiritual growth in our lives. Oh, so good identifies good works, verses 10 through 17, that produce spiritual growth in our lives. And then verses 18 to 23 teaches us how to respond to pressure. Anybody have any pressure in their lives? I was just talking to Josephine, and she told me that She was just learning to drive. She's from Kenya, and she's finally in the driver's seat. You know, in Kenya, they drive on the opposite side. And so she's just, you know, kind of learning the roads here on this side. It's on the other end of the road, and you're sitting on the other side of the car. And she said as she was driving in, somebody just got behind her and, you know, just out here on Highway 86. You know, that, that's pressure right there. Sometimes life can, can, can bring pressure and it didn't even have anything to do with you. Like you were just minding your own business. I don't know, maybe that's just me. But uh, verses 18 to 23 teaches us how to respond to pressure. When, when the pressures of life come from, from the people, he says, that you live with. When the pressures come from your family. When the pressures come from your extended family. When the pressures come, even from your oppressors, like, like, and it may be your boss, but specifically he addresses those who are in authority over us in verses 18 to 23. And he's letting us know when the pressure is on, it feels like your heart is getting pulled in all directions. And it's during those moments that life pulls to the surface what's been sown into our hearts. 
And everything that you claim about Jesus in your heart is pulled on and you're challenged and your character is brought to the surface. On display in front of everybody in those moments of tension, God studies to see, hey, what you got in there? To, to, to see if, if our response is going to reflect verses 5 through 9. Remember we read 5 through 9? When, when, when life pulls on your heart, what, what's going to come out? And so he says anger. When the pressures come, anger. Got a weed of anger. That just, just things that make you mad. He said, what about rage? Like Miss Josephine out there, she could have flipped out and had some road rage, right, when that pressure came on. He said malice, malice, just, just bad thoughts about other people. He said, man, that's a weed down in there. How about slander? Just, just talking junk about people. He's saying, man, that's, the believer has, there's no reason for that. Or how about this one? The scripture says filthy language. Oh, my. Oh, Lord. Because the Apostle Paul is talking to Christians here. Lord, Lord. He's saying, in the heat of the moment, does filthy language come from the lips? And that old lady in the grocery store turns and says, hey, don't we go to church together? Oh, my. Boy, you ain't saved like they say you is. Lord, help us. (laughs) See, we just need to be real with God when you're struggling. When you're struggling, just let God know, Lord, I'm struggling today, Lord. Yes, yes, I'm sorry, but but it's me again. And Lord, I'm going to need some support today. I'm going to need some help today. Lord, I'm going to need some backup today. But before I hang up the phone, I'm going to say thank you, Lord, that you are for me and not against me. When you start praying like that, God is like, oh, okay, I see now you're ready to do this thing. And God's like, all right, now now, now I'm going to need you to trust me. Okay, I'm going to need you to trust me because we've got some work to do. It, it, it's time to weed some of the things that are in the garden of your heart. And God begins to remove things that are going to work against your growth for your own good. That's why he says, I need you to trust me, because he begins to remove things like relationships. Relationships that's not life-giving. Friendships that are not life-giving. And that relationship, yes, it was great. It ran its course now, and it's gotten you to where you are, whether for the good or for the bad. But now it's time to pull that thing which is no longer contributing to your growth. Jesus said in John uh, 15, I believe it is, he said, every branch in me that doesn't bring forth fruit, I cut it back that it might bring forth much fruit. And it's painful, but he's uprooting the things that have either or eventually will choke out the good seed in your life. Now, everybody else can do their own thing. All those people who aren't his, they can do their own thing, but God's not going to have an overgrown garden on his property. You ever ride by those houses and they got those things out in the yard and the grass is taken over and there's a lawnmower out there? And if you look hard enough, you'd be like, is that a car 
out there in their grass, right? <laughs> Family, listen, when, when, when you receive Christ, you became God's property. You've been purchased by the precious blood of Jesus. And whether you've got weeds in your garden or not, you are still his. And God's purpose of pulling the weeds in your heart is so that he can clear out the carnal weeds that are preventing spiritual growth in our lives. And when the tension of life pulls on your character, you don't respond like verses 5 through 9. Your response reflects verses 10 through 17 because your focus is on that which is above. And you don't respond like the world anymore. Thank you so much for that. Amen. It's in those testing moments where God is looking for you to respond in love in compassion, in in kindness, in humility, in gentleness, and to be patient with people, especially when they get on your nerves. Now, why would God allow us to be tested like that? I put in my notes because you're his representative, called to reflect the image of Christ, not to see if you'll fail. He's not removing stuff to break your heart. He's just using the tension to see if you're ready for promotion. Because God's got some big things in store for your life, whether you believe it or not, that would blow your mind. You need me to back that up with the word, eye has not seen, ear has not heard, neither has entered into the heart the things that God has in store to them that love him. And it's in those moments that God is looking to see if you have the character to sustain the platform that your gift is going to stand on. Oh, I'll say that again. God is looking to see if we have the character that's going to sustain the platform that our gift is going to stand on, that our blessing is going to stand on, that this next season of your life is going to stand on. He needs to prepare you. And I'm just wondering if you've gotten so caught up in God being the big man upstairs who's just waiting on you to make a mistake so he can punish you, or if you have been focused on the loving Heavenly Father who so badly wants to bless your life, if you'll just follow his instruction. So let me go back to verse 2, Colossians 3 and verse 2. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. Anybody remember that verse? What does that 3 and verse 2 verse represent? Our theme for the 2024 year above. Yes, there we go. There we go. Yes, 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 yes. Well, what does that mean, above? Because Paul reminded us, he's reminding us of the location that we're destined for. And Paul is saying, since our destination is heaven, let's focus our desire on that which is above, on that which is godly. Come on, somebody, on that which is Christ-like, of that which is of him. This is how you know when God is doing a work in your heart. When you no longer desire the things that are of this world, more than you desire the things that are above. Now God's working in you. Now now you might still struggle with your desire for earthly things. 
That might not be godly. That's what we were talking about last week, where the enemy tries to use condemnation That's while, while you're in the midst of the struggle, and he tries to make you feel condemned because you might have new life, but you might be struggling with old weeds and old desires. Keyword, struggling. You might be struggling with the things that are in your heart, but if your desire is to live godly, that's a good indication that God is working on your life. And he will not give up on you. Oh, I hope that helps somebody today. So Paul is telling us, hey, listen, don't get comfortable in the struggle, but don't get so discouraged in your struggle that you forget where you are destined for when you have Christ in your life. Stay focused on the goal. The, the, the goal is heaven. Look at somebody and say, I'm heaven bound. So he's saying, just live like it. See, it's not the American dream that's bad and counterproductive. I, I don't believe that at all. I believe it's, the American dream is a beautiful thing. And I believe that's why you're seeing so many people try to come into our nation right now is in search of the American dream. I, my grandfather jumped on a boat from Puerto Rico as a young man to come here for the American dream. So, so I love the American dream. That, it, but what, what separates us, see, the, the problem that we have, what separates us from our goal is when the pursuit of the American dream is pursued above God. Because in 1 Timothy 6 and verse 10, Paul said, for the love of money is the root of all evil. He didn't say money is the root of all evil. He said the love of money is the root of all evil. By, by divide, devoting your life to, to making money above God is evil. But at the same time, the one who is a good steward of that same money in the scriptures is pleasing unto the Lord. This is some John Stillman stuff, but that's the only place where you see the Lord commend the servant and say, well done, thou good and faithful servant, by what he did with his finances. So it's not money that's the issue. It's our desire that Paul is dealing with. That if we have the right desire to, to invest, not just what is on this earth, but to be intentional first in investing in that which is above we'll see growth and good fruit in our lives. I feel like I've already preached right there. You guys ready to go home? You want me to give me a couple more minutes? Can I get a couple more minutes? Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Whoever said that, thank you so much. Amen, I'll give you $20 after this. I'm just kidding, I don't have $20. <laughs> uh, let me take a sip of tea. Honey, can I hold some money? Uh, verses 12 through 14. I want to drop down to verses 12 through 14. And we're just going to camp out here for just a little while uh, because there is just some rich stuff right down in here. Word of the Lord says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other. Woo. <laughs> and, and, and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love. Somebody say love. 
which binds them all together in perfect unity. So, so within these three verses, Paul recommends some character traits to work on in order to develop the spiritual maturity in our lives so that our character is ready for the next level in our faith. I remember I told you about stepping on toes. Here it comes. Because, in fact, in another translation, Paul equates spiritual growth to maturity in God. And Paul is writing to the Colossian church, and he's saying, listen, we have some immature Christians in the church because they won't put in the work to grow and mature. Check it. It is a natural process to grow in the Lord. Paul is saying, listen, in other words, you ought to be more mature in your faith than you were last year. You ought to have grown more in in your knowledge of the word than you were last year. You, You ought to have a greater fellowship with the Spirit of God than you did last year. You ought to be more of a man of God, more of a woman of God than you were last year. And Paul is saying, listen, it takes work to grow our faith. That's the uncomfortable secret of growth is that you have to put the work in to grow. God's not going to put your pants on in the morning. You got to put those things. You know what I'm saying? Like he's saying you got to grow. Here's the seed. Now you make it work. Now you can be like, well, you know, eh, I don't want to do that. I don't feel like putting in the work today, right? Hear me. You can do that and still be saved. You can still be comfortable. You can still be living the American dream, but you will still be spiritually immature and undeveloped as a believer in Christ. And God won't bless what you won't grow. It would be a shame for God to get ready to bless you and you not be spiritually mature enough to handle this level of responsibility that God's trying to bless you with. Because he won't give you more than what you're not able to. To handle. I know it's for temptation, but that scripture is the same. The uncomfortable secret of growth is we have to put into work the work to grow. So Paul's going to identify a few things that every Christian should be continuously growing in, myself included. Man, this, this thing has stepped on my toes all week. So I've been getting stomped on all week, and, and I got bandages on my toes, and you can't, just kidding. But we're in this thing together. So so if you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. Number one, if we want to grow, write this down. Number one, uh, grow in compassion. Grow in compassion. The first few words of Luke 12 and verse 33, Jesus said something really profound to a young, rich man. He said, sell what you have and give alms. The term alms in the Greek means compassionateness as exercise toward the poor. Compassion literally means to suffer together. It's being moved to to relieve the suffering of others. And we saw that kind of compassion demonstrated on the cross when Christ came and died for us. He came and he suffered for our sin. He laid aside his glory and endured the suffering of the cross. And watch this. Romans 5 and 12 says he did that while we were still sinners. In other words, we didn't even deserve it. And as believers in Christ, we're called to show compassion to those who have been marginalized. 
It's showing compassion to those whom others have rejected. We're currently receiving an influx of people from nations from all over the world who are coming here. And when they arrive, many of them are having a lack of significant resources. Hey, family, I don't know where you stand politically, but as Christians, we're called to show compassion. Jesus said, and as much as you've done it unto the least of these, my brethren, you've done it unto me. And when we see somebody, regardless of of who they are, regardless of where they're from or how they got here, family, this is the church's opportunity to show compassion and love in the name of Jesus. And by all means, if you see that woman standing on the corner with her young child, it is okay to roll the window down a little bit and hand a few dollars to that woman and say, Jesus loves you. Be blessed. And there's not too many amens on that. But, but how do we develop more compassion in our heart? And it's just like this, Lord, would you move in my heart that I would be moved by the things that move your heart. Let me give you this second point, point number two. Well, I thought that was going to land way better than it landed, but I thought someone is going to throw a hanky up in the air, and I'm just kidding. Point number two, kindness. Kindness. Uh, basic definition of kindness is a readiness to respond with righteousness and thoughtful consideration beyond how people treat us or how they may or not deserve it. Can I just take a moment to give my wife a shout out real quick? Can you guys just just show some love to Katie for me? And since we're in church, and it's always a good thing to tell the truth on a Sunday, uh, family, I've had missed Valentine's Day this year. Yep, I'm not proud of it. Just snuck up on me. I mean, that thing came out of nowhere. This leap year is killing me out here. And on the day of, I joined the rest of the husbands in the store who also forgot Valentine's Day. And I snagged that last bouquet of wilted flowers. Yeah, man. How was your week? Now, Katie's, Katie could have said something like, all right, hey, listen, let's just put this day behind us. Forget it was Valentine's Day. You know, you will throw these wilted flowers that you tried to run up in here with and surprise me before I woke up. But instead, she demonstrated an incredible amount of kindness because she said, hey, why don't we do this? Why don't we go and buy some flowers and chocolates and just go bless some of the ladies that we know really need it? Man. That's kindness. I was like, okay, so that's what we did for the whole day. We just, we just made stops. That's blessing with no strings attached. And that's what Paul is saying. He's saying, listen, as believers, let's grow in showing kindness by giving to others, by sharing a kind word, by taking some time to drop by to bless somebody, by going out of our way to bless them. And the more kindness we practice, the more we'll grow in kindness. I just want to invite you to to just sit down and ask the Lord a prayer. Just say, Lord, can you just show me some ways that I might be able to show kindness to others this week? Kindness. All right, let's keep it moving. Number three, humility. Number three, humility. 
Uh, Biblical humility defined is desiring to bring glory and honor to God. Oh, that's good, isn't it? Biblical humility is desiring to bring glory and honor to God. Uh, Let me recycle the C.S. Lewis uh, quote that I gave you a couple of, um, during our Bloom series, I believe it was. C.S. Lewis said this. He said, humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. Now, most people end that famous quote right there, right? Um, Because C.S. Lewis had some more to say uh, on this subject. And after he wrote it, you'll probably see why most preachers don't share the rest of the quote uh, because he would step on your toes. I think he may have been an Enneagram 8 himself. Um, But he says this, he says, if anyone would like to acquire humility, I can, I think, tell him the first step. The first step is to realize that one is proud. If you think you're not conceited, it means you are very conceited indeed. That's why Right there, they don't usually give you that one, right? (laughs) Uh, That's a toe stomper. Now, humility is not denying that you're good at something either, right? Like if God gave you a gift to glorify him, it's okay for you to be the best at it. Well, one of my favorite athletes um, uh, in football is a gentleman by the name of C.J. Stroud. He plays for the Houston Texans. You might not know Stroud, you might not like the Texans, but I just love what this brother stands for because he's a rookie who had a strong season. And every press conference when he's questioned about the game itself, this brother will spend a considerable amount of time giving God some praise. I mean like quality air time on TV just to give God glory. It's driving these guys nuts. In fact, take a look at the screen and watch this one right here. They respond when they try to take away the glory from God. When you bust into that room after you're winning, you're in, and everyone's losing their mind, what does a moment like that shared with the group feel like? Man, it's words can't describe. I'm just so blessed to be part of a great group of guys, um, and I can do nothing but just thank my Lord, Savior Jesus Christ, man. Um, we came out, we knew what, what we could do this season, and uh, we're proving it, man. We, we listen to the outside noise. We locked into what we know we can do. We came out, we got the dub. I know you're a man of great faith, and I appreciate that as it can, be, it can, it can give you calm in circumstances that aren't. But I'm interested in just in the actual on-field calm that you showed on that drive where you took the lead. You're 7-for-7. Seven seven. You had some outrageous throws. The, the calm and the comfort in that setting, where does that come from, CJ? Um, I just think it comes from just adversity. Um, just persevering through a lot of things that I went through. Um, and God was preparing me through all that, all that time just to get here to this moment and to lead, lead his, his kingdom and his people. So um, I think that's kind of where it comes from. And I have a, a great support system that takes a lot of stress off me throughout the week just to focus on the ball. And, and I'm just blessed, man. I think God put a lot on my life just to be in this moment. I'm going to do nothing but just thank him. Subscriber, follow for more. Listen to how CJ responds when they try man, to take I away the glory I just love that right well, there, how that brother, he's like, hey, listen. Listen, I just want to give glory to God. Yeah, yeah, I, I got all that Jesus stuff, right? But, like, how, how did that happen? And he just goes right back to giving glory to God. Powerful. Here's here's what humility is not now. Humility is not a false humility, right? Like that man, he he worked his tail off. Is that okay to say tail in church? 
Right? Like, like he worked hard. H- have you ever worked so hard? I mean, you, you just work, you, you, you could just feel it in your glutes. You know, like you just hurt and you feel it in your legs, your whole body's hurting. And somebody sees your accomplishment and they're like, wow, man, that was awesome. And here's where Christians get real weird sometimes because we'll be like, oh no, <laughs> that wasn't me. That was all God. Right now, could you imagine if that professional athlete Right, and that response to that interview would have been like, oh, no, that was all God. Like during that interview, that that guy would have been like, are you sure that was all God? Because I could have sworn I saw you in the Texans uniform throwing the touchdown passes. Are you saying God threw that football? So you're God? Right? (laughs) Sometimes rejecting a compliment can almost be perceived as prideful or false humility. Right? So when someone gives you a compliment, just say thank you and then give God the glory because biblical humility is desiring to bring glory and honor to God. All right, number four, gentleness. Gentleness, these are going to move fairly quickly. Gentleness is strength under control. Oh, my. Strength under control. You know, our culture equates strength by one's inability to control themselves. The inability to control oneself is is celebrated. It's like, oh, he's a tough guy. You better give him his space. He's got a hot temper. He's a bad man. Often celebrated in our culture. But Paul comes down hard on the men, and he equates outbursts of anger with immaturity. He's saying you're strong in your body, but you're weak in your mind. 1 Corinthians 13 and 11 says this, when I, was a chi- when I was a child, I spoke as a child, I understood as a child, and I thought as a child. But when I became a man or when I became an adult, I put away childish things. Have you guys seen the video of the, uh, I believe, Big Mike's not here, is he? I, I believe it was a Cowboys fan who during the playoffs, he got so mad that his team lost that he ripped the flat screen off of the wall and body slammed the flat screen. Did anybody see that? And then he picks it back up and he body slams it again. And he's like, ah. I'm like, man, you just destroyed like $1,000 right there. You know what I mean? Like Paul is saying, hey, listen, there's no difference between a child who breaks up their video controller on their Xbox than a grown man who has just pulled the the TV off the wall. He just makes more damage because he's stronger. Or consider the businesswoman whose heart has become hardened, maybe because she's been surrounded by men who have made her feel as though she is less than who they are. Or because, you know, God said that man looks upon the outward appearance Right? God looks upon the outward appearance, but man looks upon the heart. And maybe because nobody has taken her serious and she's had to scrap her way to the top, if she's not careful, she'll work her way to the top and not be the kind of godly influence that God has called her to be. And people will be like, oh, you better give that woman her space. She's a man eater. She's cutthroat. She's an independent boss woman. And a man wrote a song, oh, here she comes. Watch out, boy. (laughs) She's a man eater, right? That's who he's talking about. 
and, and that's cool if you're an aggressive businesswoman going after things and climbing the corporate ladder. Just, just while you're climbing that ladder, remember who you are in Christ. Because if you can control your strength and gentleness as a Christian businesswoman who knows that she can do all things through Christ, God can use a woman like that to change the world. In fact, let me just encourage our women. Woman of God, do not let anybody discourage you from doing what God called you to do. Start the business that God told you to start. Build what God told you to build. Succeed in whatever you do and whatever you put your mind to. Succeed at that and give God the glory. And gentleness is strength under control. Hey, a good question to keep in mind if we're walking in gentleness is how do people feel when they're around you and when they walk away from you? How do people feel when they're around you and when they walk away from you? And if you want to improve in that area, you can change that for the better by growing in gentleness just by asking, Lord, would you help me to grow in gentleness? Lord, would you pull the weeds in my heart to help me to grow in gentleness? Last two quick, patience. Webster's Dictionary says patience is the ability to bear pains or trials calmly or without complaint, steadfast despite opposition, difficulty, or adversity. How many of you would say, I could use a little more patience? I'm going to keep this point short right here by resourcing you with a prayer. Lord, would you give me the kind of patience that affords others the grace to grow and develop? Like, like, like you're giving me. Before I step in and give them a piece of my mind, Lord, would you make me patient with people and remind myself that, you know what? God's working on them too. Lastly, number five is forgiveness. Is this number six? Number six, my bad. Man, he took six points this morning? It's a long message. I'm just kidding. Uh, number six forgiveness. We'll close it out with this. Colossians 3 verses 13 through 15 says, bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in unity. And I just have one question about this point of forgiveness. Who do you need to call and reconcile with? Who do you need to pick up the phone and call and reconcile with? In closing, they say the preacher gets three closings in his home church, so this is my third. That was a joke. That was a joke. This side is always with me over here. It's all right. Um, so I just want to go back to verse 17 real quick to resource you with something. Because in verse 17, Paul gives us a mission statement for putting this all into practice and to resource us with a short phrase to quote, listen, in the heat of the moment. <laughs> I want to give you a phrase so that when you're right in the thick of it, when your boss has gotten on your last nerve. Do I need to keep illustrating, you know, when you're in the thick of it? Colossians 3 and 17 says, And whatever you do, 
Do it all in the name of the Lord, giving thanks to God through him. Within that verse right there, Paul has just provided us with a mission statement to remind us of why we do what we do. And he's going to say this. Listen, we do this for Jesus. Look at somebody and say, we do this for Jesus. When you're in the heat of the moment, remember, we do this for Jesus. Well, well, what is it? Well, Paul said it's whatever. <laughs> whatever you do when you're, when you're out there on the job and, and your boss man has gotten on your last nerve or your employee has gotten on your last nerve, remember, we do this for Jesus. But when you go over and above and nobody says thank you to you, remind yourself, we do this for Jesus. When you go out to lunch on a Sunday after church and you got your Generation Life Church shirt on and, and you have bad service, but you still leave a generous tip because you do this for Jesus. Listen, when you've given everything you've gotten, it doesn't seem like it's paying off. Remind yourself, we do this for Jesus when you've given everything, when you've given everything you've got, when you've given your sweat and your blood and your tears and you've grinded it out and you've even hurt yourself and you've served all that you can serve, you've prayed all you can pray, you've done all you can do and you feel like you haven't gotten your reward. Remind yourself, we do this for Jesus. Hey, stand to your feet. I just want to pray for you. And then we're about to go into worship. If I could have the worship team come on out. Hey, so what's the uncomfortable secret of growth? Well, the uncomfortable secret of growth is you have to put in the work to grow. Hey, and talking about forgiveness, I just um, wanted to leave you with this. You know, Jesus initiated forgiveness. And I quoted that in Romans 5 and verse 12. Romans 5 and verse 12, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And if you're here today and you don't know him, if you know you've been living a life that, that's been apart from God, a life that's not pleasing in God, or you know you have just so many weeds in your heart, and you want to come and surrender your life to Christ, or you need prayer for the things that you're going through, I'm going to make my way right up here in the front as soon as the worship team comes out. And maybe you need to receive Jesus as Lord. Maybe that's the issue in your life. Or maybe you just need prayer. Maybe you're going through a struggle. You're going through the battle. And maybe you just need prayer. Hey, we'll be up here, but I just wanted to take a moment. I want to say a prayer, and then I want to celebrate the Lord. Is that okay? Let's celebrate Jesus today. Father, thank you so much for speaking your word today. Lord, I ask that you would seal this word in our hearts. Father, that we would practice everything that we have learned today, Lord, and that we would find ourselves growing in faith in you in the name of Jesus. Lord, let not one more year pass by with us not walking in our purpose. Father, we ask in the name of Jesus, I pray for supernatural growth in the spirit of each and every person that has heard this word today. Father, thank you for the seeds that you've planted. Lord, cause us to, 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 to put our lives in alignment with you, that our lives might please you and we would find ourselves growing in our faith and in the things of God, that you might use our lives to turn this world upside down, that you might use our children's lives 
to make a significant impact. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, can you say amen? Thank you for listening to the Generation Life Church Sermon Podcast. We pray that this message inspired, encouraged, and challenged you in your walk with Jesus. Join us on Sundays at 10.30 a.m. in person at Orange High School or online via our YouTube channel. For more information about Gen Life or to connect with us, visit generationlifechurch.com.